TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors on this Friday, January 5th show. It is good to be back. We're wrapping up our initial week back after the new year with our coverage, 12 noon to 1 o'clock every day. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter as well. So if you've got a question, drop it there. We'll get to it throughout the next hour. We've got a lot to get to. With our usual Friday guests, of course, Philip Pilkington is producing. Joe Sampson will join us here shortly from the library uh, in his house back home. We'll uh, welcome those two guys to the show. We got big donation news to the Pirates Unite campaign. Bill Clark Holmes has come through yet again. We, of course, had our interview with Mike Houston, the head coach at East Carolina, Yesterday on our show, ton of feedback from that. We'll get uh, some fallout from that interview. We'll get Phillip's take. We'll get Joe's take. As a former player, we'll discuss that as well. And if you have a take you want to drop in on YouTube, Facebook, drop it there as well. We'll share that throughout the show. Two new transfer commitments coming in yesterday in the midst of Mike Houston's visit. There were a couple guys who announced uh, their commitments to ECU for the coming season. So we'll get into that as well. So we got a lot to do and we got to talk about national championship game coming up Monday. We got NFL picks. We got the championship game picks. So guys, this is going to be a busy Friday show. We'll start by welcoming in Joe. Uh, Joe, welcome, welcome back to the show. Happy new year. And, uh, what book are you reading over there? Happy new year. Uh, several. Currently, the start is the QB. I'm still waiting for the Jets to read this one. You know, it's been a while since we found one of those, so I can't really comment on if Joe Douglas has read it, so I'll have to send him over. He went to high school with my former tight end coach, Latrell Scott, so I've got to find a connection there somehow to get him that book. Philip Pilkington is back in the studio. He has set up his own camera. Philip, how are you doing on this Friday? I'm great, Igo. I'm excited for a Friday show. It's always my favorite show of the week because we get to uh, argue about stuff that doesn't matter at all. And uh, it makes for, I don't know if it makes for good content, but it sure as heck makes for a, a fun time from us. There's no doubt. And uh, I guess we'll start with the, the Mike Houston interview from Thursday, guys, and we'll talk about some of the, the transfer portal additions later. We'll hit on that as well. We'll get into the national championship game. And we'll get into our picks later and the standings there. So we, we went the full hour with Coach Houston. Again, really appreciate his time. It's kind of the first time since the 2-10 and ten season he's really sat down for one of these interviews. And, you know, we're, we're kind of moving into the future of 2024 already. But, I, you know, I felt obligated to ask, all right, you know, what happened in 2023? What were some things you could have done different or would have done different if you could go back and do that? So we had that some some of that conversation. We had the portal additions, all that sort of stuff. So we hit on a little bit of everything. Really appreciate his time. Joe, we'll start with you as a former player. Any big takeaways from Coach Houston, what he had to say on Thursday? Yeah, immediately most of the people all season were like, Coach Houston's losing the locker room. There's no way these kids are bought in. He put all that to bed quickly. He made the movie had to make. He came on the show and addressed that it all started at the top and 
all these different things that people wanted to blame other coaches for, he took it on himself. And I think that was a really big show to all the new recruits, to all the new transfers, to everybody who's coming in or has been in the program, that we're still here. The standard has not changed just because of one season. I've made adjustments because I believe in this program and I believe what we can do. So I was really happy to hear him kind of take that burden on, so to speak, and really put to bed this whole notion that, oh, it was everybody but myself. He jumped on the sword quickly, and he said, this is what it's going to be from now on. We are going to fix this. That was not acceptable last year, and I love that as a former player. Philip, you were in studio producing yesterday as well, so anything stand out behind the scenes or just as you took in the interview uh, from your seat? I think last year one of the things that caused the issues was – complacency they thought they were they thought they had their guys and unfortunately they were wrong and he was very open that he is still willing to bring in guys at any position over these next few days i think till what the seventh so sunday as well as in the spring after the spring ball he is still willing to bring in guys and i think that proves that he learned from the mistakes that were made whether they were his mistakes or whoever like joe said he took them on himself which you know if it's a head coach of course it's a little bit his fault but it's not all his fault either but uh i think he's learned i think his staff has learned and um i think that says a lot that's that's a tough thing to do and like he said actions speak louder than words so he can sit here and say these things but at the end of the day you got to go out there and do them and he seems willing to go do them and uh, i think he's very honest with himself he's very honest with the fan base he was very honest with you i go and i really appreciated that yeah, I think there were some things he wanted to say last year during the season that he probably felt he couldn't say as the head coach of the program. You're trying to hold things together so much. It's just, you know, when you're doing an off-season interview, you can be a lot more candid. It's not like he was lying last year, but there was just not as much he could maybe open up on and say during the course of the season. And I, I know that frustrated a lot of fans at times saying, hey, we're hearing the same thing every week about how we need to compete, execute, do that. But I, I think Mike Houston, look, there's a there's a reason he handles that in season differently than out of season. And uh, I thought yesterday shed a lot of light on some thir- certain things. He did say, Joe, basically one thing he learned from last year, he did close the show by saying he's got to be aggressive every single day. And, you know, not that he hasn't been aggressive all the time in the past, but basically just taking it to a new level, turning over every leaf, adding as many talented players as you can add, adding as many good coaches as you could add, and, and, and really not stopping is what I took away. And then he also said you can't obviously take a, uh, a square peg and, and shove it into a round hole. And he didn't really say necessarily what that was, but I assume offensive related given the offensive struggles and, how that cost ECU so many wins last year. So what did you make of that comment? And do you feel like that was, you know, personnel scheme related, a little bit of both? Yeah, uh, the scheme is the first thing you're going to think about because Holt Naylor under center for five years, throws for the school record in passing touchdowns and passing yards and, and does all these different things. So you assume that it must be the system. But at some point you have to accept that the players are different in every year. I really think the more I've thought about this quote, and we talked about it a little bit before the show, my answer is changing a little bit now. Every team is different. You can't go with the same approach that you had with a 1,000-yard rusher and Keaton Mitchell and two 1,000-yard receivers and um, a 5,000-yard quarterback, I think Holton was last year. 
and kind of approach it the same way with new guys who are yet to kind of be in the fire. You had a very green team this year who didn't have a ton of experience. You had Jalen Johnson come back. Chase Sowell was a redshirt freshman, so he didn't see a ton of time at Colorado. He only had a little bit of game experience. So you're, you're trying to basically microwave this entire system to see the results of what you've had from five guys who played together for years to come, and then you added in Isaiah, who had had such a pedigree at so many different schools last year, and you expected it to be the same way. So I think Houston talking about him, his aggressive approach was in practice. You have to understand that these kids need to get pushed every day. You can't take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit and be like, okay, maybe tomorrow is going to be a better day than today. You only have today. And I'm not saying anything about that because Houston gets in everybody's you-know-what. But that's the difference between moving on from a season like last season and staying in the same spot. And I'm really excited to see what Coach Houston has in store for spring ball and how he's going to turn that fire up quick because, believe me, he will make sure this does not happen again. No doubt. And he said also that actions speak louder than words, and certainly they've taken a lot of action to a lot of key personnel, coaches since the season ended, and we'll see how that plays out in 2024. He knows he's got to win games. Pirate Nation wants to, wants him to win some games, but I think the interview did a lot of good and uh, you know, got some people back understanding, back on board, and you know, they won't fully be back on board till ECU's winning football games again, but this definitely helps. Again, you can check out the full interview. We got it archived, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, in podcast form. It's also archived on YouTube and Facebook as well, so check it out on all those platforms. All right, guys, some major news in this morning. Bill Clark Holmes again has stepped forward with a massive donation, $1.5 million to the Pirates Unite campaign. This is on top of giving $2 million in August of 2022 is when that announcement came. So they've now given $3.5 million to the Pirates Unite campaign over the last 19 months. Now, this $1.5 million, I don't have the exact dollar figures, but it will be split between the multi-purpose indoor practice facility and also the baseball complex, which Cliff Godwin has been trying to uh, erect for some time now. And so that will put a, a, a significant dent in those funds needed going forward. But Bill Clark Holmes has established themselves as the clear leader in giving over the last handful of years. I mean, they stepped up with the Military Bowl Fund. They stepped up with buying out the upper deck for the South Carolina game during the 2021 season. Uh, they made a lead gift uh, to, to cover those $200,000 uh, for the bowl rings with the Military Bowl Fund. They've also partnered with the Pirate Men's Basketball Team. So, And, by the way, they've also given $300,000 to NIL over the last two years, Team Boneyard. So Bill Clark Holmes is doing tremendous things, and, and John O is a former player. This got this has to make you feel good, not only because they're they're giving to NIL, but also to facilities. So, what's it like as a player when y'all kind of have these meetings and, and these announcements are made? The first thought that you have is immediately, where was this before? But that's not what the outside guys would think about. That's just the players. Like we know what we have in the situation in the facility and all these guys. Why are people buying in now? What's what's the outlook on the program as far as we're moving forward? And especially after two and ten season, these guys are going to think, okay, this, this town still believes in us. The city believes in us. All these different donors still believe in us. Nobody's pulling funding. So that's a huge kind of 
I guess a pat on the back to the work you guys put in last season. And yeah, the results weren't what you wanted, but they see the foundation. So a huge thank you to Bill Clark Holmes for putting this program, both programs that are so well respected in their kind of conferences between baseball, who has a couple people now landing on preseason all America lists and football who had a ton of all conference selections. This is a huge step for you to move forward and say, this is where the standard's going to stay. So as a player, you're very excited because you wonder if that's going to mean more for the indoor. Are you going to get a different training table, maybe an upgrade to the locker room sometime soon? So you're just kind of excited about to see where those funds are going to go. Philip, as somebody who you know clearly follows the teams and your role and your job, Bill Clark Holmes has to uh, has to come up as much as as anybody recently when it comes to just giving and, and big announcements, big donations. So. I don't know what more we can ask of Bill Clark Holmes at this point. Like they have clearly gone all out. Maybe they'll give another big gift next year. I, mean, I, I know it is a good time to be selling houses, but uh, really just can't thank these guys enough, right? No, you can't. And when they do things like this, it makes it a favorable destination for recruits at all levels. When they see that local businesses are willing to, you know, put stuff into it, especially, and, and I know they're not, it wasn't an NIL donation, but in the era of NIL, some of what can attract somebody is just, hey, who is your alumni? Do you have a famous alumni that owns a company? For example, Phil Knight and Oregon being the CEO of, of Nike. But when they see things like that, that to all of Joe's points, you get those things. And that want, that lets the athletes know the community is invested. And when they do things like buy out the rest of the empty seats of the South Carolina game. Kids want to play in front of people. I just saw an interesting graphic, and it was a baseball attendance. We would be second in the ACC. We'd be middle of the pack in the SEC. I think we would lead the Big Ten, or be second in the Big Ten only behind Nebraska. And when you see companies investing in attendance, when you see companies investing in things that can literally help the athletes, you know, uh, Joe brought up training table indoor practice facility that lets them know they're going to get the most out of their bodies the fans are committed to them and like you said i go there's nothing else we can ask of bill clark holmes at this point they have gone above and beyond so thank you very much that is awesome and uh we appreciate it as fans and as media members and i know these athletes appreciate it even more no doubt great uh great contributions from bill clark holmes really appreciate them and uh, I know uh, a couple of the, the Clarks really well and uh, great people and can't thank them enough. Obviously, Lance Clark serves on the Team Boneyard NIL board as well, so he's heavily involved in that, and uh, they just do so much for ECU Athletics. It's it's honestly amazing, and uh, can't give them enough of a shout-out. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's, get a, let's get a quick break in. We'll come back. We will transition. We'll talk transfer portal additions. We'll also – get into the national championship game. We have not gotten Joe's take on the semifinals, uh, at least on this show quite yet, so we'll talk about that. And uh, we'll make our national championship game picks and get an updated look at our pick standings. We've been making college and NFL picks all year. It's coming down to the wire. Somebody has a one-game lead. We'll tell you who on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Friday. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Friday, January 5th edition, wrapping up our first week back of coverage after the holidays. It's good to be back. We've had a fun week of programming. 
We'll uh, get into some of the notes maybe a little bit later of what we got in store for next week. But, uh, guys, we got some more transfer portal news as East Carolina continues to clean up in the transfer portal. And I'm not going to say the Pirates are going to go out and win 10 games next year. We've seen in the past, just because you get big-name transfers, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hit. You know, if you bat about 50% in the transfer portal, you're doing pretty good, much like regular high school recruiting, so we'll see. But all you can do is is add talent and see how it works out. And ECU continues to add talent almost on a daily basis right now as the Pirates pick up two more transfers on Thursday. Andrew Wilson-Lamp, a 6'2 cornerback out of West Virginia. He is a guy who started last year as the opener, uh, the, the season opener at corner for, for West Virginia against Penn State. Played 46 snaps in that game, graded out uh, pretty well. And then the next week started against Duquesne, blew a coverage, ended up basically losing his job and didn't get it back. But played pretty well the year before. He's got two years of eligibility remaining, so a guy looking for another chance. You also add Kayshawn Sapp, offensive lineman from Florida State. He is pretty much redshirted, developed his first two years at Florida State, former big-time recruit. He's a projected likely interior offensive lineman. So you had two guys at a position of need, Antoine Jackson moving on, offensive line always a position of need. So, Joe, what are your thoughts on these two guys and this continued evolution of the transfer portal class? Well, first things first, if I'm Lamp, I call every single furniture store in Greenville, and I try and get that NIL deal immediately. And then I go out and I get a tattoo with a light switch on it like um, Merriman used to have for the Chargers because it's lights out when I'm covering you. So that's first takeaway. Second is Sapp's tape in high school when he was a big-time recruit. I loved his footwork. He is a big physical guy, but he is like a ballerina on his like his big toes like that. He moves so well. It's effortless in his kick slide. He was a little more of an outside guy in high school, but you can see how it's going to transition when he's into that guard space. He's got longer arms for a guard, which is a very good thing to have, especially against a lot of power rushers that they have in the American and some of these non-conference teams you're going to play. I really like that pickup. And then Lamp immediately replaces Antoine Jackson. You never want to say replaces a player, but if you look at it from our perspective, like Moneyball, you got to replace him in the aggregate. And that's exactly what Lamp does because he's got so much knowledge in the back end and he's got so much experience that he can kind of play in tandem with Siobhan and then whoever you put back there at safety this year, whatever that winds up being as far as a group goes, now your secondary is solidified. There's no more question marks. There's no more ifs, ands, or buts. You know who's going to be in the back end, and I love that for the new defense. And, Joe, i got even better news for you. There are two more cornerbacks visiting right now. So I don't know if ECU will add them, add both of them, maybe one, maybe two, but they're going to continue to add depth. And I think this goes back to what Mike Houston was saying. You know, we, we know defensive line is a is already a strength, but they've even had some defensive linemen on campus this week too. So anytime you have a chance right now to add to any position talent-wise, I think Mike Houston is going to take advantage of it. I still expect them to add another quarterback as well. Maybe by the end of the weekend, we'll see. Uh, they're they're going through some names there, and then they're they're still recruiting other other places as well. But corner will continue to be an area of focus. Uh, Philip, what what do you make of of these guys? I mean, are you are you the type that you want to see it see them you know deliver on the field first, or like did these commitments names get you excited at all? 
You know, I, I've always been kind of a little bit of a mix. You know, I believe in optimism. And, you know, when you talk about Lamp, obviously, what is it, 21 games he's played, I believe, at West Virginia. So yeah. he has done it on the field and at a bigger program than here. And, well, I shouldn't say that. It, it gets bigger competition. So he he's proven it. You know, when you look at uh, at the linemen, uh, you know, to Joe's point, he's, we're going to probably play him on the inside. It sounds like he's going to be a guard. He's got the longer arms and all that, which the great thing about him is if somebody goes down, hopefully he can move to the outside because he did play on the outside in high school. And you need talented offensive linemen, and you need guys that are good at one position, but you have to be interchangeable this day and time. Injuries are so common, and it's hard to have ten great ones. And sometimes that causes you to have to be able to move around. You know, we were talking to Coach Houston about it. You know, yesterday, just how quick this guy is. He said he'll probably be the fastest offensive lineman we have. And look, offensive linemen nowadays have to be more of an athlete than they've ever had to be before. It used to be back in the day you maybe would pull a backside guard, and that was about it. Uh, obviously, there were screen passes, but heck, now they have to go out there and block on wide receiver screens. And stuff and you want an offensive lineman who is an athlete and this kid is an athlete i'm very optimistic about both these transfers but to your point i go until they get on the field they don't mean anything they're just names on a paper until they perform on the field no no i mean you you want to add the talent because it gives your team a higher ceiling and higher ceilings at each position but just because they come from a big school does not necessarily mean that they're going to be great players. I mean, they got to earn it just like anybody else, just like the redshirt freshman who's coming off a developmental year who maybe wasn't highly recruited but has a chance to be a very good player. Like, to me, you pull from each pot. You pull from the transfer portal. You pull from uh, guys who are in your program developing, maybe an under-the-radar transfer from the FCS ranks, and you try to put all that together, see what pans out, what doesn't. But I, I'll always – Anytime I can get an offensive lineman with ability like Saps, you take them and you see what happens, and uh, you know we'll see how that plays out over the coming weeks. So again, we'll continue to uh, to update you guys on transfer news as visits continue through Sunday. All right, let's get Joe's take on the national championship picture in college football. Just a tremendous semifinals Monday. As Washington survived Texas's comeback, Michigan won in overtime against Alabama. Joe, I know you were excited about those games. Did you stay up for both, and what were your thoughts on each? I was not past my bedtime. I made it all the way through the Sugar Bowl, so pat on the back there. Uh, I was extremely impressed by the Sugar Bowl. I think we'll, we'll get to that in a second because that needs its own run. The Rose Bowl. I mean, there was so much controversy about the Jalen Milrow play at the end, but you got to look at the whole game as a whole. I mean, both teams tried to lose that multiple times. Michigan fumbles one that gets downed at the one. Jalen Milrow gives the ball away twice on a fumble. Could have just slid, stayed in bounds, ran the clock, kicked a field goal, but instead he fumbles, gives Michigan a chance on that one. You know, if you're Nick Saban in that situation, you need to understand where your momentum is. And when you win the toss, yes, I get that you want to play defense first, but you also might want to take a chance and go offense first because that's not what they're expecting. You could get them off guard, go for a quick hit here. You're coming from the 25 in. That's usually your bread and butter plays. So I'm not going to sit here and say I know anything more than the greatest coach of all time in college football. I won't do it. That's not my place. But I didn't love his aggressiveness going into overtime. 
I want the ball if I'm in that situation. I'll trust my defense who's been making plays for me to end this game, not to hold up and then my offense to win it for me. Um, I wasn't impressed. I'm still waiting for the Blake Corum breakout game. I've heard all these different things about him being this dynamic athlete and doing all these different things that he can come out of the backfield. He can catch this on a rail route. He can go play in the slot. I didn't see it. So if I'm an NFL GM, I feel the same way. I've yet to see him do that thing that makes him that dynamic guy as opposed to trying to go get another slot receiver who can play some running back like a Danny Woodhead, like a Darren Spolz. One of those guys who can play outside, and I'm not worried about it. But the Sugar Bowl lived up to every expectation we had. I mean, Quinn Ewers is for real. Everybody was concerned early in the season, should they bench him for Arch Manning after that game against Oklahoma. Quinn Ewers is the real deal. They'll be very good next year with some pieces coming in. Who knows? Might even go get two or three transfers now with things opening up that you can go recruit if you're a Steve Sarkeesian. But Michael Pinnock stole the show. Between both games, it was the Michael Pinnock show, and we were all just watching. His touch on the deep ball, if you put him in a mirror image and you made him a righty, you would say he's the number one quarterback in the class. His release looks so fast. It's a flick of the wrist. He's like Steph Curry with a football. I mean, he flicks it. It goes 65 yards, and I love that. But I love the touch and the leadership he had on the sideline. And just there was never a point in that game where you thought Michael Penix was down on himself or couldn't get the team back up. And their defense played beyond what I could have imagined. We picked them to lose against Oregon twice, and I ate my own words. That defense is legit, and I think Washington has a great chance. Yeah, I've been saying that. All year, I've picked against Washington, and I keep doing it. I picked Texas last week in the uh, the Sugar Bowl and missed on that, although they almost came back and won. I still don't think they would have covered. So let's transition real quick. We'll get a national championship preview as we make our picks. So if you, if you haven't been following along, we do college NFL picks each week, and we're keeping track of the standings. Philip Pilkington is 93-83-6 on the year. He is in first place by a game, as I am 92-84-6. Joe Sampson has steadily made his way back close to 500. He is 86-90-6, and that is a tremendous climb from where he was about midseason. So Joe has a chance to, uh, to continue to close in on the lead as we'll make these picks through the NFL playoffs. Now, for today, of course, we only have one college game, as that will be our last college game of the year, Washington versus Michigan. Michigan is a four-and-a-half-point favorite in the national championship game, and so we'll make our picks here. I think last week I was on Michigan, you guys were on Bama, and then I was on Texas, and you guys were on Washington. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Sounds right. All right, so uh, we'll kind of give each of our thoughts on the game and then make our pick. Let's let's start with Philip. Let's go reverse order. Philip, kick us off here. What do you think? National championship, Michigan four and a half. Do the Wolverines cover or is it Michael Penix? Does the show continue? You know, Joe and I were talking about this pre-show before you logged on, and Michigan has a bigger line. Michigan has been the best team in the country all year. Michigan, if you shut down the run, they can throw. If you shut down the throw, they can run. On paper, they are the better team. However, there is something different about this Washington team. You can see it in the postgame interviews from the players. You can hear it in the postgame interview from the coach. And 
ever since that Pac-12 championship game, I just I don't, I don't know how you pick against these guys. I look, they're not the better team. They shouldn't win the game, but the mind is a powerful thing, and I think they just believe. I think Michigan has just been trying to prove the doubters wrong all year. They're worried about the chip that's on their shoulder, and Washington just couldn't care less if anybody picks them or picks against them, and I think that makes them dangerous. I've got to go with the Huskies. I don't know why. Gut feeling, they just refuse to lose. So I'm going Washington. Good pick, good pick. It does kind of feel like Washington's year. Joe, what direction are you going? Michigan four-and-a-half-point favorite. Are you going to Huskies or Wolverines to cover? I'm taking the Huskies, and that's not a surprise to many if you follow me and understand where my mindset comes from. you got to show me what you can do. And I have been very unimpressed with how Michigan handles late-game situations. We saw them almost throw it away three times against Maryland, who's a very good Maryland team. Shout-out to Latrell Scott and Michael Loxley over there. Like They've built a great program. They're going to be good for years to come. But that's not the team we saw. We saw them struggle a little bit in the first half against Rutgers and then came back and answered Michigan State. Obviously, they handled business, but that's a Michigan State team that didn't have a lot going for them. Washington's answered the call every single week and brian kelly had a quote that stood with me and i'm not a huge brian kelly fan which was odd they're going to rank you no matter if you want them to or not and that stuck with me because kelly DeBoer could give two shakes of a rat's tail if he's the number two team in the nation or the number 22 team in the nation when that whistle blows for the ready for play on the first kickoff in the national title he is going to put everything he has into that offense and fire every possible bullet at Michigan on defense. And that's what I love about Washington. There's never a moment where I'm like, he was a little too conservative there. He shouldn't have gone for that. He shouldn't have gone for two. I love every move he's made all year. There have been no head scratchers. They're down, I think it was three points in the first Oregon game in Washington. And he said, we're not going for the field goal. We're going for the touchdown. We're going for the game. And he trusted Pinnock's and a doozy, and he knows what he has personnel-wise. And that white linebacker that they have in the middle, number 33, is extremely good at covering space, which is not something you hear a lot from the shorter linebackers these days in college football. And I think he matches up really well against Blake Corum. So I give the edge to the Huskies. The most dangerous team to play is a team with nothing to lose. All right. Joe and Phillip on Washington. And if I if I could learn from past mistakes, I should be on Washington as well. But I just have a feeling about this Michigan team, guys. I, I think they really showed me something last week against Alabama. A, not playing their best. And B, Alabama had all the momentum in the fourth quarter. And Michigan needed a drive. Usually in that situation against these SEC teams, we just have not seen teams from other leagues be able to come up with those big drives. And for me, for J.J. McCarthy to lead them down the field in that situation, tie the game, and then, of course, them win it in overtime, that showed me a lot. I think Michigan will play a more crisp brand of football in the championship game now that they kind of got over the monkey of winning the semifinal game and getting past that round. And I think they take home their championship, their first championship since 1997 despite the fact that I don't really like Jim Harbaugh. He's kind of an oddball, uh, but it is what it is. I think he's a dang good coach, and I think they're a dang good football team. I think they're a more balanced team. Give me the Wolverines by two touchdowns over the Huskies. I do think it'll be a close game, and then Michigan scores late wow. to pull away. So I'm going Michigan. You guys are on Washington. It should be a fun one Monday night. 
7.30, I believe, is kickoff time, Eastern time. So looking forward to that. So, Igo, when you said teams from other leagues haven't been able to do that against the SEC, were you calling out Ohio State, who's only won one of their last 16 against SEC opponents, which is a worse record than Vanderbilt over that span? I wasn't calling out them specifically, but now that I have a chance to call out Ohio State, might as well, uh, because I'm not a fan of Ohio State either. Not a, not really a fan of any Blue Blood program, which is why I kind of hate myself for not picking Washington. But I think I'll be pulling for Washington, even though I pick Michigan. It's just usually you see teams like in that situation against Bama or Georgia just unable to win. Like when the other team has the momentum – you know, the, the typical SEC factor, and Michigan found a way to overcome it, and I think that's going to end up leading them. Joe, you're not feeling it? Your mic's off, Joe. I've got you on, but we cannot hear you. You turned yourself off. I flipped you on there because you were shaking your head. Uh, he's going to Joe may be muted. And muted himself. All right, we'll take, we, we, we got to get a break in anyway, so no worries. We'll get Joe's separate thoughts on the championship on the other side. And uh, we'll also transition to NFL. we got to make NFL picks as well as the playoff picks are starting to really take shape, obviously going into the final week of the season, so we'll get into that. Can the Panthers play, play spoiler in the NFC South? We'll make that pick as well. This is Hoist the Colors on a Friday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into Oyster of Colors on this Friday edition of the program. We've got to make NFL picks here shortly. Do we have Joe Sampson back? Joe, do you have audio? I think Connor Stallions cut my mic because I was talking bad about Michigan. That's the only answer I have. Clearly, they're trying to silence me because I am telling the truth that Michigan is a bunch of frauds. You don't get to be the number two team in the nation and play the victim card for 13 weeks. Act like it. Sorry. Continue. Hey, I, I do. I do want to butt in real quick before we go to NFL with co- breaking college news. It does affect affect ECU directly. Former five star quarterback Ty Thompson at Oregon has transferred to Tulane. Wow. That's that actually does impact ECU. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Sorry to butt in. I thought that was breaking news. And continue with what y'all were talking about. Wow, I mean, he must be getting a bag because I heard he was going to go to yeah, Oregon what? State. What's the connection there? I uh, no idea. The old Troy coach know him somehow? Yeah. That's, that's uh, good for Tulane, man. That's that's big time. He will replace Michael Pratt. They may not miss a beat. They've got some good NIL money there, apparently. Uh, so that is a significant addition. For I think ECU doesn't play Tulane next year. Is that correct? In the regular season, maybe in the conference yeah, I, championship. I think it's the, I think it's two years. Yeah, because of the shuffle. Okay. We pulled All right, let's do let's do some NFL picks, guys. And there's a ton of scenarios that would take the rest of the show to run them over. We may hit on some of them as we go through these picks because most of these games have playoff implications within them. The first is a Saturday game. Steelers-Ravens, always a fun game, definitely a fun game when playoffs are on the line, although the Ravens are arresting many of their starters. That said, I still expect this to be a very competitive game because Tyler Huntley is a capable backup quarterback and the Ravens don't want the Steelers in the playoffs. So the Steelers are a three-point favorite 
at the Ravens. Uh, I'm going to go – I'm going to be honest, guys. I think the Steelers stink. I know they just won to Seattle. I think the Ravens went out right. Give me the Ravens, and I think the Steelers are out of the playoffs. Joe. That's Pro Bowl quarterback Tyler Huntley you're talking about. That's a Pro Bowler. I give the edge to the Ravens as well. I mean, they just signed the detriment, the worst running back in Jets franchise history, Dalvin Cook. Uh, but, you know, I think that system with Todd Munkin, he's going to get enough touches. I think Huntley in the backfield gives them an opportunity to do some things that Lamar was able to do that the offensive line's been successful at. So I like the Ravens. Mike Tomlin still finds a way to finish with another winning season. Doesn't get fired, and the Steelers live in infamy with Kenny Pickett, the fence at quarterback, and refuse to make a change. Phillip. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way here. I think the Steelers find a way. They've been finding ways to win ugly games all year. I think that continues. Give me Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is in the playoffs, according to the Pilk. All right, Texans-Colts. I think this is also a Saturday game. Texans are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. At the Colts, Gardner Minshew hosting C.J. Stroud. I think the Texans are the better team, but it's in Indianapolis, and there's just something about this Colts team that wouldn't surprise me at all if they won. But I'm going to go with the better team here. I think Houston gets it done on the road, and I think they find a way to win and make the playoffs in uh, – I can't even think of the guy's name, the coach, head coach's first year back at back Houston. There you go, D'Amico Ryan's Joe. What's the line on this one? This is a one and a half point favorite for the Texans. Oh. Is the line? Uh ooh. I'm gonna have to give it to the Texans as well. I've been I've been very impressed with what the Colts have been able to do, but I think that Ryan and that offensive coordinator down there have a better feel for their team right now. I think C.J. Stroud is a legit MVP candidate. He's not going to win because it's Lamar Jackson, but he will be for years to come. I think the Texans are legit. I don't know if I give Tamika Coach of the Year, though. There's a guy up in Cleveland who has a say. Kevin Stefanski took a team with P.J. Walker at one point as a starting quarterback and is now starting Joe Flacco in the year 2012, apparently. And they have a chance to also sneak into the playoffs. I think they're in right now by tiebreakers, but they have to win They have to win Sunday, I think, to confirm they're in. If I remember correctly, they can still lose out. But I, I have to go with the Texans. Cleveland's in. But I think yeah. – Cleveland's definitely. They're in officially? They are the five. I don't mm-hmm. think they can move. Okay. All right. I just didn't. I wasn't sure with the losses and everything because there's so many scenarios and so many different things. I mean, the Bears can still make it. This is a wild year. Uh, but give me the Texans. I'll go to Philip. I'll, I'll digress on my rant. Nah, I, I, I'm a little worried about the Texans now without Tank Dell. Um, this is only going to be the second game I think they've played in full with C.J. Stroud back and no Tank Dell. They've relied on a lot on explosion plays this year. So they worry me but they find a way to win this one. I don't think they make any noise come playoff time. They they rely too much on explosion plays, but I think they're going to find a way on Sunday or Saturday. So the Nico winner of this game, Joe Collins yeah. is a stud. The winner of this game will win the AFC South if the Titans beat the Jaguars the following day. And the Jaguars have been – Falling from grace. Now, they did beat, what was it? I guess it was the Panthers last week, uh, handily with yeah. C.J. Beathard at, at quarterback. But it's the Panthers. So I don't really know what to make of this game. Do, is Trevor Lawrence playing? Yeah, he is. Supposedly he could have went last uh, week. They yeah, were just so confident they could beat the Panthers without him. 
And they did. They were right. You know what? Give me the... The Titans in these games have been close all year to pulling off an upset. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, but I guess I'm going to go with the Jaguars to cover the three and a half on the road. But something about this game makes me think the Titans may pull it off. Joe. Is Will Levis playing? Is it confirmed? Is he back? I have no idea. That's a good question. Let's see. I will if, Google if it Levis up. If Levis is back, I give it to the Titans. This is the most Mike Vrabel game of the year where he has a chance to knock somebody else out of what they want to do just to kind of give them an old little punch in the face because, oh, you're not going to do that on us. So this is a pride game for Mike Vrabel. There's no reason for them to win it. It'd actually be better if they lost for draft position. But I give it to Jeffrey Simmons and that defense on the edge. I don't think that they're going to be able to kind of control what they want to control with Jacksonville with that banged-up O-line. Give me the Titans. Levis was a limited participant on Thursday, and uh, he did return to practice. I assume he will be probably questionable going into Sunday, so we'll see. He could play. We'll talk at 11.30 Sunday. Joe, if he doesn't play, only if he doesn't play, if you want to change your pick at 11.30 Sunday, we'll let you do it. We've let guys do that Understandable. I despise Ryan Tannehill. That's (laughs) fair. Fair enough. All right, uh, look, Jacksonville struggled. Everything's been going bad. And I'm going to turn into Igo here and say it's going to be a bounce-back game. I know they won last week, but when you beat the Panthers, it doesn't count. Rose could beat the Panthers. Heck, Conley might even beat the Panthers. I don't even think they made the playoffs. This is my Anson belt and buckle lock of the week. Give me the Jaguars. All right, the Bucks are a four-and-a-half-point favorite at the Panthers. And... The Bucks, if they win, they win the South. It's pretty simple. If they lose, the winner of Saints and why am I drawing a blank on the other Falcons. team in this division? Saints Falcons. The Falcons, Falcons can still win the division, which is just amazing. Winner of Saints Falcons would win the division. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Give me the Panthers to cover four and a half and win. Anson Belton buckle lock of the week. David Tepper from his booth throws his drink onto the field, causing Baker Mayfield to slip, lose the ball, and the Panthers to get a scoop and score to win the game. Give me Carolina. Joe. I like how you were true to form and the Panthers still weren't holding a lead into the fourth quarter because they haven't yet this year and they still have two wins. So I appreciate that sense of realism. Baker Mayfield woke up feeling dangerous. He's going to do it again this Sunday. This is the game where Baker Mayfield puts all the rumors to bed about if they trust him at franchise quarterback, if they want him to be the guy going forward. This is the Baker Mayfield revenge game. He beats the Panthers to get into the playoffs and knock the Panthers back into oblivion so Dave Tepper can be fined the equivalent of $1.77 to the average American for throwing a drink at a fan. But... You know, that's not what's important about this. What's important is this is my Anson Belt and Buckle Lock of the Week. That's right, I go dueling locks of the week. Baker Mayfield wakes up feeling dangerous with two plus touchdowns and the Buccaneers win. Phillip. Well, you know, it's interesting. The Panthers are the only team to ever play sixteen games in a season and never lead in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, it's gonna be seventeen. They don't stand a chance. Give me Tampa Bay. <laughs> Y'all are just a bunch of non-believers. <laughs> the great, the great David Tepper is going to ignite this franchise, this team, 
into a Week 18 victory. All right, our final game here, Bills at Dolphins, AFC East on the line. The Bills are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Give me the Dolphins. They're at home. I think the Bills have made a nice comeback to get back in the playoff position, although there's a chance they could miss the playoffs if they lose this game with some other help. But I'm going Dolphins here. I, I think they've, again, they're at home. I'll take the Dolphins at home. It's really that simple for me. Joe. There's one thing that the Dolphins refuse to do, and that's beat teams over 500. They have one win this season to the fraud boys down in Dallas. I think Sean McDermott gets the boys on some monkey bars. For those of you who get that reference, you get that reference. And they go down there and they whip the Dolphins a new one and win the AFC East, put all these rumors to bed about if Joe Brady's the guy as the offensive coordinator, they look the part. Josh Allen's a Pro Bowl snub, should have got in over Patrick Mahomes. I stand on that. I believe it deeply. I think that the Bills go in, knock the Dolphins back into the wild card games, don't host, and the Bills win the AFC East. Phillip. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna agree with Joe that I'm picking the Bills because they are gonna be in a must win because I'm picking the Steelers. But with you picking Baltimore, I think if Baltimore pulls it out and the Bills are not in a must win, I don't know if they play with the same chip on their shoulder. But because I'm picking the Steelers to win, it's going to make the Bills be in a bust win. This is going to be a first four type game for them in NCAA tournament terms. I think they do win this. I think we see them in the AFC championship game, and just like UCLA and just like VCU, they go from first four to final four. They're going to have to play an extra playoff game Sunday night. They're going to win that playoff game, and they're going to make a run in the playoffs. All right, now. There you go. Philip has called his shot. There's our picks. And our Anson Belt and Buckle Locks of the Week. Check them out, AnsonBelt.com. Uh, AnsonBelt.com backslash ECU for your officially licensed East Carolina belts. Philip and I have four different picks of the six games. He leads me by one game. So this will be a fun weekend to follow those results, at least for me and I. Uh, me and I, wow. Uh, me and him. <laughs> Nobody else out there cares. Maybe Joe. Since he is still trying to come back and steal it from us as well. All right, let's get a final break in. We'll come back and we'll wrap it up on this Friday. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into the show. We only got not even a minute left. So we do have ECU's first preseason ranking, guys, of baseball season. The Pirates are number 17 in the perfect game preseason top 25. You feel like that's pretty accurate, Joe? Yeah, but the great Cliff Godwin will tell you that preseason rankings don't matter. Uh, I do think they're a little better. I think they're top 15. I don't know if there's more than two or three teams better than them that would have put them into that 17 spot, but it's probably appropriate for how you're going to start. It's, it's, it is a rat poison, right, Philip? It is, and I think they're at about the right spot. I mean, they're going to be a on the cusp hosting team, so right around 16 is is where I would think. All right, we'll see what Baseball America and D1 Baseball have them as in the coming weeks as well. All right, we got to get out of here. We'll be back Monday. Exciting week next week. We'll have Scott Rogers, Hank Hinton on from Team Barnard as well early next week. We'll talk to you then, 12 noon on Monday on Hoist the Colors. Thanks to Philip and also, Joe, for today's show, and to you guys for listening. See you next week. Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in.